We're going to come to open up God's Word together now. And we, as I've said earlier, we're going to be continuing our series in Isaiah. Um, We're looking at chapter 11 and the second half from verses 10 to 16. So do grab your Bible and I'm going to invite Nathan uh, to come up uh, and to read that passage to us. Uh, So Nathan, do come on up. So Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 to 16. Thank you, Nathan. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hatham, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will also raise a banner for for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah and from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. And they will subdue Edom and Moab. The Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break up into seven streams so that anybody can cross over it in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan. Let's pray for Chris before he comes and gives uh, God's word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for God, your, for your words that is true, that is powerful, uh, that has power to change our hearts. And Lord God, I pray right now you'd open our hearts, you'd warm our hearts, you'd give us ears to hear, minds to understand. Father God, I pray for Chris, I pray that you'd uh, anoint him by your Holy Spirit now as he comes and uh, delivers uh, your word to us. Lord God, I pray you give him clarity as he speaks. I pray that he would be proclaiming your truth. Uh, now, Father God, I pray you'd be with him, guide him by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, James. And for the youth involved in tonight's service, it's really great to have you all involved. So uh, this evening, as Nathan just read out, we're looking at Isaiah 11, verses 10 to 16, uh, which we've entitled this evening, A Royal Hope, where Jesus reaches out to the nations and will draw his people to himself. This passage, it continues on from last week when Rui came and spoke to us, which looked at the first nine verses of this chapter. Isaiah, he looks back into history and he uses imagery from Isaiah, from Israel's rescue, sorry, uh, of, from Egypt by God's hand. And we read about this in the book of Exodus at the beginning of your Bible. And it looks forward to a time when God similarly will rescue his people. Firstly, through a return from exile in Babylon. And also further on to the Messiah's rescue of humanity from their sin. And this, of course, is achieved through Jesus, the son of God, who we celebrate at Christmas time. But since God's kingdom has still not been fully established... It's not been fully realized yet. It also looks forward to Jesus' second coming, 
his second advent. The prophet Isaiah, he brought this message of royal hope to Judah. The king, the birth of a new king is like a dawning light. It's seen against the background of darkness and sin that engulfs the people. And this is so true of us today, isn't it? We look around and see so much darkness. Isaiah's hearers, they were in great need of a savior, a need that is so apparent for us here today. There's no date set on this prophecy. There's no knowing how far in the future it was going to look into. But it's an ever-present and a living hope, not only for Isaiah's original hearers, but it continues also for the church. The church as we await Jesus' return and for a future messianic kingdom to be consummated. Uh, In understanding this passage, it's really helpful to split it into two sections. Firstly, we're going to look at the first verse, verse 10, and then secondly, looking at the remaining six verses. And this is because verse 10, it's a pivotal verse in the middle of our chapter. As I said, Rui explained a lot of the first part to us last week, and it builds up to this great reveal in verse 10, where we learn about this new messianic king who will one day rule. As the old Sunday school joke goes, the answer is Jesus. And he is written large in the middle of history, in the middle of today's passage as well. And we'll come to that. So the first point for this evening is the messianic banner. This is who this passage is talking about. Now, on battlefields of old, you'd use banners to communicate it communicate both with the opposition and also with your own people. For example, a white flag might be raised to say that you have surrendered to other people. But it also provides a, a rallying point for your troops. They know which way to point, which way to be going. It keeps the soldiers focused and makes sure that they are pointed in the right way. And so we come to our first verse of today's passage. Please do have it in front of you so you can read it and follow it as I go through. Verse 10 says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So this verse, it looks forward to the ideal king in the line of David, who was a great king of Israel. And it's interpreted messianically in Romans 15, verse 12, which says these words. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And Paul, he makes reference to this because he recognizes that what Isaiah has written is becoming true in what he's doing. In his ambition to reach the Gentiles, which are the people who aren't Israel, who need to hear the gospel, and we fall part of that Gentile bracket. God means for all people in the world to hear the great news about Jesus, about the Messiah. The word here, glorious, in our passage, it literally means glory. And this term, it refers to God's God's presence manifest with his people. And we see it throughout Scripture. We see it in God's leading of the Israelites as they come out 
of the wilderness in Exodus 16. We see it in the filling of the tabernacle in Exodus 40. And also later in the temple in 1 Kings 8. And there's several passages in the Bible that look forward to the day when the Lord's glory will fill the entire earth, where the entire earth would become a sanctuary for the Lord's. For example, Isaiah 11 verse 9, the verse before our passage today, which says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This verse, it looks forward to the revealing of God to the nations, to the entire world. In John 1.14, it tells us, The word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. And this, of course, refers to Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this clearly asserts that this glory was found in Jesus. It was present in him. And it's to this divine glory that Jesus welcomes all who rally to him or literally seek him. This doesn't mean grasping around, looking after something that's lost, hoping to find it. But rather it's coming with joyous anticipation, with zealous commitment to where we know that we can find it. The word banner here can be also translated as signal. So Jesus Christ, who is the stump, is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, is God's saving signal to the nations even today. He reigns, and in him the nations hope. So let's be a people who pour ourselves out for the nations, the unreached people of the earth. Let's lift up this signal to all the nations in the world. Come, seek the Messiah. His rest is glorious. He will welcome you. Come and join him. The Jesus, he invites you to follow him. So have you accepted his salvation, his direction, his leading? I really hope you have. The second point this evening is about the homecoming. Now, I don't know if you know about this about me uh, and also my wife. Uh, We used to be outdoor instructors, so we are no strangers to navigating through the hills and the mountains, especially in Scotland. It can be quite a desolate place. But in some of these places, it's a bit of a motorway, really, up the mountain. There's a massive wide path. There's loads of people going up this path, and you can't really get lost. But what about if it's snow on the ground? What about if it's a whiteout where the sky becomes like the ground and you don't know which way is up, you don't know where you're going? In these instances, it's really important to have a map and a compass and to know how to use them. But even then, it's not necessarily going to help you if you don't know how to use them. And if you go somewhere like the Coolin Mountains in Scotland, then even a compass won't work because the rock is all magnetic. So you need an expert guide who can lead you and can overcome dangerous obstacles and sections. And so we have a Messiah who guides us. In this section in verses 11 to 16, they describe the gathering of the Messiah's people. God's power gathers 
in all his people and no earthly power can stop their final homecoming. Let's give an overview of this section. In verse 11 and verses 15 and 16, we see references to the Lord's hand and Syria and Egypt. The hand signifies divine personal action. And look at the text a little bit further uh, further back in verses 3 to 5 of this chapter. We see the king ruling. And here in verses 12 and 13, we see the Lord gathering and transforming the people over whom he will rule. And the worldwide kingdom to which the root of Jesse was the key is now realized in verse 14. This section is really beautifully structured. You've got two pairs of divine action, verses 11, 12, and 15 and 16, enclosing two verses of transformed people in verses 13 to 14. So let's look at this in a little bit more depth. In verse 11, we read about the second time. And this, along with references to Egypt, probably want to refer us back to the exodus of God's people from Egypt. Let's remind us. It's notable here that the word reclaim means literally obtain by purchase. And we see the same term used in Exodus 15, which describes God's purchase of Israel in the Exodus. It's significant. It's worth remembering this because Jesus, he purchased you for a price. He died that you might be set free and that you might be reconciled to God. We read in Revelation 5 verse 9 where it said of Jesus, You were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Doesn't that marry up to what we're reading here tonight? The list of regions that we read about in verse 11 suggests that Isaiah, he's not referring to a single event, a single exodus, or a single exile, but it's a worldwide gathering. If you look at the geography described by Isaiah in verse 11, it shows the extent of the known world at the time. We have the south and the further south, where you have Upper Egypt and Cush. You've got Elam and Babylonia to the east. Then you have Hamath in the far north. And you've got the islands of the sea and the outlying lands over in the west. In other words, no distance or remoteness around the world can prevent this great exodus from happening. It's also worth noting that the word Babylonia, as it appears here in the text, means literally Shina, this area. And we read about this area in Genesis 11, where it says that it's a place of human self-sufficiency. And it was also referred to in Zechariah 5, where it refers to inherent wickedness. Do you see the picture here? Perhaps it's an indication that even pride and sin can't hinder this final gathering from taking place. Jesus' sacrifice for us, it's has power, power to overcome. It has no bounds. Look on to verse 12. It says the word exiles. It means literally dispersed ones. And the use of this word exiles suggests that it's not just referring to Babylon 
uh, and the exile that happened from there. But it's a wider dispersion, and it uses this term from four quarters of the earth. As we know, the earth is round, but you know the image works. It's equivalent to the ends of the earth. The God would go to the ends of the earth, to the end of the known world, to gather his people in. Does that not give us hope? Hope that no matter how far we feel that we're from God, we are not outside of his grasp. On to verse 13. Unto their great king, David, the 12 tribes of Israel experienced a real, if fragile, unity. It was never so before him, and it wasn't really the case after him either. The vision of reconciliation that we see in verse 13 is part of Isaiah's forecast of the kingdom that will yet to be. We have emotions, jealousy, and actions, hostility. And these things that are alike are banished from this truly united people that we read about in this passage. Isn't this just such a far cry from the disunity that we see in the world around us and the enmity, whether it be because of Brexit, because of the U.S. elections or the handling of the pandemic crisis, all these things, there's no unity. How we long for more unity. Well, this passage spells out how that can come about. Verse 14, we see language used that paint a picture of warlike conquest sorry, by the united people. And this kind of jars, doesn't it? Because we read about Jesus as being the prince of peace. And also we read a couple of chapters back in chapter 9 of Isaiah about a kingdom of peace that will come across the whole world. Now, it was usual at the time for kings to uh, push their boundaries, and you do, they do that by armed conquest. And so it's not a surprise that this same picture is used by Isaiah to show the pushing out the, uh, of the boundaries of this kingdom. But rather than through military might, this kingdom instead is going to be developed by a different force. This force is that of the Prince of Peace. It's the gospel that pushes this kingdom. The reassembled people of God are the agents of this kingdom extension. They're the ones who are pushing out through the power of God in them. Do we behold this power that we have in the gospel? Do we consider it a tool of conquest? Might I suggest that there's perhaps a ripe harvest awaiting us as people post-COVID are seeking meaning and purpose in life. And we have a key role to play in sharing the good news, the gospel, with the people around us. And by God's saving grace and his power, we can reclaim ground. Verse 15 has this language about the drying up of the Egyptian sea. Again, a strong allusion to the Exodus. The prophet Isaiah, he now reaches back way beyond King David to the Exodus. And then the drying up of a sea enabled people to escape from Egypt. But here we see how it enables us to enter in. It's God at work 
It's the same divine wind that's described in this verse that we see in Exodus 14 that causes them, the Israelites, to pass through the Dead Sea. The inclusion of the river Euphrates here, which was a massive river back then. It was one of the biggest. It affirms that there's no obstacle that's too great for the Lord to overcome. A really great power here is at work. The word streams here, it means a riverbed. Uh, in Israel, we have uh, they have wadis, which are channels, uh, little valleys, where one minute there can be lots and lots of, of water flowing through, but the next minute uh, it will be completely dried up. And so, too, here we see how even though it's a massive river, lots of power, it can be like a dry valley that lots of people can pass through. The recurring message through these verses is that God's mighty power is at hand. Just recall through our passage the references to him at work. Verse 10, he will stand. Verse 11, he will reach out his hand. Verse 12, he raises a banner. He gathers exiles. He assembles. Verse 15, he will dry up. He will sweep his hand. We're reminded that there's no no force that can hinder the Lord's purpose. And we need to be reminded about this more than ever, do we not? The circumstances around us are overwhelming. They make us wonder, like I was saying earlier about uh, a whiteout. You don't know which way is up. But we know that God is sovereign. He is in control. His control and his hand is more powerful than any earthly power or pandemic. His hand is ready. It's ready to guide us, to forge the way to go for us. Will we follow him? So how do we conclude? What do we conclude from today's passage? What encouragement can we take from these words? Like the hearer of Isaiah's words originally, We long for the day when the Lord finally gathers his people without hindrance to live in harmony. Beyond the limited view of the original hearers, we can rejoice in Christ's first advent that we celebrate at Christmas. And we can celebrate that people have been rallied to him. Hopefully you are one of that number. But the world is very far from the utopia that we read about in the first half of this chapter. We are clearly still waiting the completion and the glorious return of Jesus. But we can not only rejoice that we can be counted as part of God's kingdom, but that we also have a part to play, do we not? in the time to come, as we anticipate Jesus' return, as we extend his kingdom in in proclaiming the gospel. Isaiah 11, it reminds us that while Christians may celebrate Jesus' ministry in the past and also in the present, we can surely be urged to be prayerful as we long for creation's promised destiny, as we Look forward to a place of peace, of justice and grace, that these things will have the final say. They will, surely, but let's pray for it to come. Jesus Christ, the stump from the root of Jesse, as we read from today's passage, is God's banner, his call to us. 
He is God's saving signal to the nations. If you're a Christian, let's be lifting him up. Let's be raising that banner. Let's let him be seen by all. But if you've not put your faith in Jesus yet, consider what you've heard this evening at other times in other services. But consider that Jesus, he brings hope. He brings security. He brings reconciliation with God. We can put our wrongness to the side because he has conquered for us. If we turn to him, then he's faithful and just and will hear us and forgive us. He has great power to save, even from hopeless situations and from those who were maybe once very far from him. The glory that we read of in this passage, it, it's what Jesus has completed and it's where he dwells and he invites you to join him. Nations will be gathered God's people will be restored. A curse will be removed. There'll be new heavens, new earth. There'll be no harm and no destruction anymore. And this is his resting place. For all who respond to his banner, every sorrow will come to cease. And every joy imaginable will be satisfied in him. So I pray that you will put your trust in him this Christmas time.